Welcome to our second podcast, Safer Bereshit, Parshat Noah, on trauma and community mental health. In Parshat Bereshit, in the beginning, we looked at the indelible mark of dignity left on humans by virtue of us being made in the image of God. Now for Parshat Noah, Genesis 9-9 through 11-32, we'll examine how the presence of a just society is necessary for the upholding of that divine image, that selenology. Most people of any age in Jewish and Christian cultures can recite the basics of the Noah story. God regrets how corrupt humanity has gotten and decides to destroy the entire earth with a flood. But because of Noah's righteousness, God chooses to save Noah, his family, and enough animals to start life afresh. God then promises to never enact such a flood again. What happens to Noah next, though, is sad and strange, and there's a reason it gets left out of the picture book version of this story. He plants a vineyard for wine. I mean, who wouldn't after experiencing such an ordeal as this? And then he gets drunk and naked and puts a curse on one of his sons. Noah, the tiller of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard, Genesis chapter nine says. He drank of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself within his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father's nakedness and told his two brothers outside. When Noah woke up from his wine and learned what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan! The lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. The bigger picture here, friends, is that Ham's family, and by extension the Canaanites, gets cursed. But for the moment, we're going to focus on Noah's life in light of the events of the flood. The Midrash takes a strong stance against Noah's actions after he left the ark. He was disgraced and made debased, Genesis Rabbah says. Why, it continues, to plant a vineyard. Should he not have planted something else to repair the world, a tree sapling or a tree cutting? But the very first verse of the Parsha tells us Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his age. Noah walked with God. So how does one go from being one of the only people in the world considered worth saving and the one made responsible for saving the world to soon after he steps off the, of the ark, a disgraced transgressor? The text of Genesis doesn't give us a very satisfying answer, but the Jewish tradition tells us a whole lot about human needs and behavior that we can use to make sense of Noah's peculiar downturn. Friends, think about what Noah had just witnessed, the entire earth and almost all of its people, plants and animals were destroyed by drowning. How would you feel exiting the ark and walking into an utterly obliterated world? The American Psychological Association defines trauma as any disturbing experience that results in significant fear, helplessness, dissociation, confusion, or other disruptive feelings, intense enough to have a long-lasting negative effect on a person's attitudes, behavior, and other aspects of function. Traumatic events include those caused by human behavior, like rape, war, industrial accidents, as well as those by, na by nature, like such things like earthquakes, and often challenge an individual's view of the world as a just, safe, and predictable place. 
In explaining post-traumatic stress disorder, the APA explicitly associates PTSD with natural disasters. The organization then goes on to say that people with PTSD may relive the event via intrusive memories, flashbacks, and nightmares, avoid anything that reminds them of the trauma, and have anxious feelings they didn't have before that are so intense their lives are disrupted. And what do humans do when we experience trauma at any scale? Ideally, we seek the comfort and support of other people. It is not good for man to be alone, God says to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, before finding a partner for him. Noah, upon leaving the ark, finds himself, apart from his very close family and some animals, completely alone. Judaism is filled with built-in solidarity systems to ensure that people don't face difficult tasks in solitude. We study Torah with a chavruta, which is Aramaic for friend. When a loved one dies, we say the mourner's kaddish with a minion, a group of 10 or more. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov taught that in addition to learning texts with a partner, one should speak frequently with a friend about the challenges of everyday life. Had Noah had access to the right people, be them companions, psychiatric professionals, or even kind strangers, would the first vineyard ever have been planted? In today's world, in which mental health resources, medical care, proper nutrition, and affordable housing are often a luxury, how many images of God, endowed humans, are we leaving like Noah, left to cope with their problems via whatever potentially harmful tools are available to them? And in the current culture in which pandemic-induced isolation has exacerbated the already extant loneliness epidemic. How many individuals are we leaving like Noah with no one to whom to turn? The scholar Mayor I. Gruber takes a similar approach to analyzing the earlier story in which Cain kills his brother Abel. There, God accepts Abel's sheep offering but rejects Cain's plant offering. But to Cain and his offering, he paid no heed. Cain was so distressed and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you distressed? And why is your face fallen? Gruber ties Cain's rejection, the subsequent depression, to the aggression that comes out of his murdering Abel. The tragic act of violence is as the Bible tries to tell us by means of the, of the non sequitur in Genesis 4.8, something out of the blue, something totally irrational. The link between Cain's being depressed as a result of his being rejected by, by God and Cain's murdering Abel is to be explained, however, by reference to the etiology of depression. The turning of aggressive impulses against the self is secondary to the breakdown of self-esteem. Moreover, on recovery, from depression by regaining self-esteem and the feeling of strength, aggressive impulses are released and directed against the object world. That's what Gruber shares. Of course, Genesis is sacred storytelling, not a science textbook. And I can't emphasize enough that depression does not mean one is murderous. This reading does tell us though, that perhaps we can avoid bad social outcomes by mitigating the causes and manifestations of distress. When a challenge, whether mild or severe, 
comes upon us. How do we take care of ourselves? Does our coping become destructive to ourselves and even others, even though we don't need it to? Who is there to take care of us? Are we there to take care of others? Does society have systems in place to help others in ways that we as individuals are not able to? In Genesis 9, there is no society. It's been destroyed, obliterated. And we see what happens when struggling souls have no community support. But now the world has been replenished with people. And we have not just the opportunity, but the duty the, to, to build a just world. Friends, we must not only reach out and support those struggling with mental illness. We must also advocate that those all too invisible in their suffering have access to the mental health resources they so desperately need and deserve. In seeing Noah's despair, we see the human story of isolation and trauma. With every external destruction, there can also be internal destruction. As we build and rebuild our outer world, we must also tend to our own. Shabbat Shalom.